This is Crucial Tech, a podcast about the technology that affects us all, but few of us understand, presented in a format that can give you some basic understanding and the time it takes to drive to the grocery store. I'm Luke Covey, an independent journalist who's been writing about various technologies ranging from renewable energy to digital security for more than 40 years. I probably know more about it than you do, and if I don't, I will introduce you to those who do. Okay, as promised, uh, here is an episode of Crucial Tech that is not about digital security. I've been waiting to do this for a while. I've had this interview in the can for a while. Uh, But I wanted to find out the right place to put it. And thankfully to uh, the, the new freshman class in the House of Representatives has provided that in the form of the Green New Deal. So I kind of want to talk about that. And I'm not going to make a positive or a negative about it. I'm, uh, I'm going to talk about what the Green New Deal actually says. And it's not what everybody thinks it's saying. Okay, let's let's break it down into five pieces. Okay, number one, the government actually let's take it from this way: the government should take a stand. That's what it says on number one, reducing carbon emissions. Okay, now let's not even get into the issue of climate change. I don't want to talk about that. But we all know if you go to Los Angeles or New York or New Delhi or Beijing that carbon emissions make it tough to breathe. So just on a, on a, on a theoretical concept, let, we should reduce air pollution. Well, yeah, that's not a bad thing. Number two, give everyone a job that wants one. Okay, that has been a promise since Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And sometimes we get to it. We're actually at that place right now. So that's already in place. And we'll go into a little bit more detail about that. Uh, number three, repairing our infrastructure and improving it. Okay, now if you've ever had to go to the shop because your axle is broken from a pothole, you know we have to do something about the infrastructure. So let's just say we're in favor of filling potholes. Okay, number four, supporting family farms over corporate farming. That's really, uh, that's kind of a, a position that you might want to take. If you like buying your farm, your your produce from massive corporations, that's fine. They're still going to be there. But currently our regulations kind of support the corporate farms over the family farms, which actually produce most of the food. So you might have a, a political issue there, but let's just say that's what it says, Okay. And number five, retrofitting every building for uh, energy efficiency. And that means adding solar panels, putting in insulation. Okay, that's what it says. Okay, and it gets into, and the actual legislation that did not pass the Senate uh, gets into a little bit more details. And I'm going to talk about that too. Let's talk about a, a position on renewables. Now, the legislation said it wants 100% of power through clean, renewable, zero-emission energy sources. Okay. Uh, Doesn't really say how it's going to do that, but the fact of the matter is we're moving in that direction anyway. 
Um, right now, we're at a point where like 20% of our power is provided from renewable sources. Uh, that could be uh, wind, uh, solar, um, hydroelectric, uh, and believe it or not, nuclear is included in all of that. Uh, and and carbon-based uh, energy production is starting to drop. But still, we're right around 30% of our energy is coming, is coming from coal right now. Uh, 32% is coming from natural gas. 20% uh, is from nuclear and 20% is from uh, renewables. Uh, and also that includes biomass. Now, biomass may sound like a really nice green thing, but it isn't. Okay, well, biomass is taking things like uh, leftovers from uh, lumber mills and burning it. Okay, when you burn something, you release carbon into the atmosphere. So I don't know why they keep calling that um, uh, a green technology because it's actually adding carbon to the, the environment. And it also includes geothermal. And geothermal is okay when you have a geothermal location like they have up in Northern California in, in uh, the wine country, uh, where they're actually using uh, geo or, or geyser land uh, to produce energy. But to do it anywhere else, you've got to drill down into the earth, and then you've got to inject water into that hole that you've made, which will increase pressure, and essentially it's fracking. <laughs> so I'm not exactly sure what they're talking about there. But again, this is a very general issue. Uh, getting into uh, uh, more detail in, un, under transportation, uh, the Green New Deal is calling for zero emissions in the infrastructure and manufacturing of vehicles uh, to make clean and affordable transport, high, uh, public transportation and high-speed rail, which is kind of a difficult political issue in California. But again, it goes back to the issue. We want to clean up the environment. Let's not talk about climate change. We want to clean up the environment. We want to be able to breathe. Zero-emission vehicles are a good, good idea. And we're going to get into that in our interview today. But on more detail, it is mostly looking at the area of, of low-tech approaches to cleaning up the environment, uh, where we want to restore natural ecosystems, reduce pollution, uh, encourage carbon storage. Uh, the one problem I have is with it leans more heavily toward preservation of natural resources than conservation of natural resources. And that, that's an important issue. Uh, preservation means we don't touch it. We leave it alone. We don't do anything with it. Whereas conservation says we know it's a limited resource and we've got to take care of it so we can have it for future generations. That was the position of Teddy Roosevelt when he started the national parks. Uh, the idea was is that these are resources that we want to save for future generations, but we still want to use them. If, uh, you have, if our national parks were under a preservation concept, we wouldn't be able to go into them because the presence of humans in those areas does damage it. If you've ever been to uh, Yosemite or Yellowstone during uh, uh, summer vacations, you know it gets pretty dirty. Uh, and that's not conservation, though. That is destruction. Conservation means when you walk into a place, you pick up more trash than you brought in, than you create. 
Um, another issue of low tech is dealing with farming practices. And most people talk about cow farts <laughs> because that makes up actually livestock carbon emissions from farting make up about 14% of the carbon in the atmosphere or in the, in the environment in the world today. And about 40% of uh, our air pollution in the United States. So that could be an issue. Uh, I don't know if I want to get into that, but the fact of the matter is that there are lots of other th other practices that farms do uh, that could change with a low-tech approach. For example, water. Uh, in the Central Valley, the, farm, the farms use a lot of water in Central Valley in California, and that's where a lot of our fruits and vegetables come from. And the farmers there, I can tell you for a fact, are loath to do anything different when it comes to watering. And yet there are many things that can be done. In Alabama, uh, Florida, um, uh, Mississippi, farmers there use, uh, there, there are these devices that kind of look like traffic cones, okay? And they wrap it around the base of a tree in an orchard and they apply their water uh, supply to that alone. And it cuts the use of water to, to orchards by about 90%. And, and the companies that make this stuff have been trying to sell it to the orchardists in California for 10 years, and they will not do it. They still use sprinklers, which essentially puts water into the atmosphere and gets, and, and gets evaporated. So it's an incredible waste of water, and they won't change it. So there are things that we should probably do on a legislative level to say, look— we're not going to cut off your water supply, but you got to do better things with it. And that's part of what the Green New Deal is all about. And then there's the thing that everybody is upset about, the public ownership of investment. I mean, that's one of the things that they want. They want public banks. They want the money that the public puts into technology development to be um, to have a better return for people. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure I disagree with that. Uh when you talk about the pharmaceutical industry, they spend more money on advertising than they actually make. And, you know, they're a profitable business, but here's the thing: is that they say they need they need uh, the all, all the uh, the money or the the support from the government to to continue their research investments. But the fact of the matter is, most of the research done on new pharmaceuticals is government-funded, okay? It doesn't come out of their pockets. And the thing is that when, they, when the pharmaceutical companies get this research from the government, then they productize it and they sell it. But they don't return that money that, they, that the, we, the taxpayers, spent in creating that stuff. And that's where we've got to have a turnaround because that's also true with renewable energy. It's also true with just about any kind of investment. Think of the Internet alone. The Internet, you know, Al Gore aside, the Internet was invented by the government, okay, by taxpayer money. And that's how Google and Facebook and Skype and everybody else that uses the Internet makes their money based off of the taxpayer investment. And we don't get much back from that. So that's what it comes down to when we're talking about the Green New Deal. It's really very amorphous and it's hard to 
have an argument about something that has no real shape or form. It's just a blob out there saying, maybe we should do something. And that's where I want to get into our interview today, because I came across a company last year, and I actually did some consulting to them. It's called High Tech Power. And they are approaching the problem of the Green New Deal, you might say, in a very practical way. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk to the founder of the technology and the CTO of the company, Evan Johnson. Evan, thanks for joining us. Uh, are you uh, surviving the uh, blizzards up there? <laughs> thanks, Lou. It's good to be here. Um, surviving, yes. Okay. Uh, it's it's always exciting here in Seattle when we get a little bit of snow. How about that? Yeah, everybody goes crazy here when we get a little rain, and we're getting a lot of rain right now, so they're absolutely bonkers. I'm staying inside. So, Evan, we haven't talked for quite a while. Uh, I was v very impressed with your technology when I wrote about it a few uh, – actually, it's been almost two years now. And you had a big article in Vox by David Roberts uh, – can you tell me where you are today and what your technology actually does? Oh, absolutely. Um, a lot of our technology, uh, the company's named is High Tech Power. Uh, we focus specifically on um, hydrogen solutions with the true renewables as the long-term goal. And what I mean by that is we're currently incorporating hydrogen into different fossil fuel applications, meaning we inject it very specifically uh, into uh, diesel engines, especially larger ones, to help the diesel burn more complete. So you get a cleaner burn and a lot more energy out of the current uh, diesel solutions that are out there. So it's an easy retrofit. The idea is then to roll into pure hydrogen solutions, um, but it's very difficult because you have the hydrogen as a molecule that's very difficult to hold on to. It's uh, very small. Um, and it also doesn't like to be uh, squished into a small area. So we focus on what we consider low-pressure bonded hydrogen solutions. And by doing that, we bond hydrogen to uh, different types of metals or alloys, um, specifically polymers, several different applications. And our focus in the company is to be able to have those as what considered true renewables, meaning you can add at the end of the lifespan of that bonded uh, application, you can recycle it and reuse it again, and that there's a minimal uh, carbon footprint attached to producing the product. And that's one of the things we really focus on as a company um, and be able to develop over uh, the next several years as you have um, more and more technologies coming online and being able to reduce the cost of uh, manufacturing it, uh, applying it, and implement it into the infrastructure that's currently out in the market. And as I remember, you also had an application of this technology for storage. That is correct. For storing energy, uh, the, that was our was and is our long-term focus. And the reason for that is the ability to easily store a lot of energy when you have renewables like solar, wind, tidal, uh, hydroelectric power, um, you want to be able to store that energy on off-peak uh, um, off production, meaning you the sun goes down, uh, you produced excess power that day, easily be able to store it to make it available for the rest of that night until the sun comes back up uh, is the best example, I guess, is the simplest one to see. Wind is obviously a lot more variable. 
And uh, the nice part about that is it makes the renewable systems a lot more efficient. You have less loss, um, but you have to affordably save that energy to compete on the open market. And by doing that, uh, one of the things we focus on is we produce hydrogen um, a lot more efficient than traditional methods. And that comes down to producing less heat and producing more hydrogen. It's the two byproducts that you work with. And we have been doing a lot of uh, development over the years to get closer and closer to that. And then the other part is how do you actually store the hydrogen? And the most common way right now is high pressure. And with high pressure, it's uh, there's a lot more energy required to pressurize the hydrogen. Uh, there's also a lot of safety issues uh, attached to it, also how to transfer it, move it around, reuse it. Um, high pressure is just a lot more moving parts and a lot more difficult. We focused on the low pressure side, which means we try to put it back into its uh, state that hydrogen likes to be in, which is bonded to something. Obviously, everybody's familiar with water. That's probably one of the most common ones out there. Uh, hydrogen being basically bonded to water and then being able to pull that bond apart and use the hydrogen. The problem is that bond is really strong. And we focus on what's called a weak bond. And that weak bond, um, you can put it as a good example. There's different types of alloys that love to bond to hydrogen, but you can break them apart just by changing the pressure and a little bit of heat uh, in the tank. Uh, there's obviously the most common one that everybody knows about is fossil fuels. That's a, a bonded uh, hydrogen chain. And it has a lot of uh, energy density attached to it. And how you apply it or reuse it um, and keep it very clean has always been the very difficult problem. And we've really focused a lot on um, continuing that process, doing a lot of research, uh, building up simulations, and reducing the cost, I think, is the biggest thing. Um, there's a lot of work that was done in the 90s. And the, the biggest problem I ran into was the cost. Okay, so let me ask you one question before I ask you the big one that I want to ask. How far away are we from having this technology in our hands? That's always a good question. Um, it always comes down to resources, and um, as you develop these, these types of technologies and apply them, uh, you always have a moving uh, line. You run into something new or you run into a problem. Um, realistically, I think there will be commercial solutions and pilots and beta programs, whatever term you want to use, that we're still testing and figuring it out over the next couple of years. And then where it's more on the open market, uh, realistically, I think it's something we could accomplish in five to ten years where we could easily start competing on the open market without incentives um, against traditional um, energy sources. Okay, what what happens if the government decides to give you some incentives? I will not complain one bit. I don't. I, <laughs> I mean, will I it, will it find anybody that has complained about that? Uh, will, will, will will it speed up the uh, uh, the distribution of the of the technology earlier? Um, certain aspects of it, absolutely. Um, throwing enough money at a problem can solve it, but you also have. Um, additional problems that go along with that. I think there's a lot of programs where you um, throw a lot of money that ends up being wasted or not properly managed. And yes. by doing that, you... Kind of, kind of like everything we're doing today. 
Yeah, I, I think that's a fair statement. <laughs> um, it, it, run, getting grants and money and not having um, a responsibility attached to it, I think, is very dangerous. Um, having to still meet um, capitalistic styles of uh, putting a product out there is still very important and can't be forgotten. Um, it's, you know, round hole, square peg type of application. You still need to, you still need to work at, uh, making it a viable product and assume that you're not always going to have that safety net. And that safety net is only so big. Uh, obviously it can help accelerate or force certain companies to adopt it, but as much you can do up front to make it appealing without having to have that in place, I think it makes it more realistic to actually um, be accomplished. Is, is that a very politically correct way to say it? Uh, <laughs> yeah, but actually it's quite unique in that a renewable energy technology developer isn't really excited about the idea of government funds. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's obviously always having money and resources is very important, but um, there's a lot of scrutiny with that too. Yeah. And I think it hurts the industry by just taking money and um, throwing it at a problem uh, versus being very strategic about it. And, and the reason I say that is just because of there's so many failures that have happened. So let's, let's go to the big question here. Um, we have this Green New Deal uh, that's being debated right now in the halls of Congress and in coffee shops across the country which has some very lofty goals and some would say absolutely ridiculous goals. Uh, part of that is the idea of being able to e virtually eliminate uh, carbon fuels, uh, including, including those uh, in airplanes. That was one of the things that came out in the, the memo that uh, the, the Congress uh, members put out a, a few days ago. That wasn't supposed, and that, that information wasn't supposed to be in the memo, and it kind of got put in there. Um, Out there, I'd say, and then work backwards. <laughs> yeah. So, do you think your technology or technology like yours can make at least part of that vision come close to being possible? Uh, yes, and the the best part about um, this type of technology and getting it out there is there's obviously a large demand, not only for businesses to help reduce cost, um, and that's what you have to remember is we're we're focusing on reducing costs, not um, not hurting ourselves um, by forcing something down someone's throat. I mean, if you're able to go out there and make fuel more affordable and increase durability of certain applications and have stuff that you can actually, uh, or energy sources that you can actually recycle and renew uh, once you have the initial investment, I think there's a lot of incentives for us to do that. Now, with the Green New Deal, there, there's certain things you, I think is very, very important when you deal with a Congress is they have zero knowledge um, in different technologies and realistic applications, how to implement it, how to actually afford to do something like this. And the neat part about our country is we have an incredible amount of resources from uh, academic institutions to actually um, 
commercial uh, applications that you have a lot of companies that are incentivized just by the reducing their cost, uh, reducing their impact, making their customers happy, that by going out and consulting and working with a consortium of people from multiple backgrounds that have the same goal in mind, but have different ways to approach it. One is saying just spend it until it makes it make it work or force it or regulate it. Um, others are saying, well, we're incentivized just because it actually saves or makes us money. And having those groups work together will always be a lot more successful than one forcing it down the throat of the other. And by well, doing that, I'll go ahead. Yeah, well, I, I was just thinking that's kind of how we got to the place where lithium-ion batteries are considered to be the way of the future. Yes, and that that's a, a great example. As you have, uh, as an example, like Tesla or a company like that that privately went out, uh, found an application, said that it couldn't be done, said, well, I think it can, and proved that a heavy car with lithium-ion can be fun to drive and actually cool <laughs> and create a market for it and then build upon it. Are there inherently problems with it? Yes, but it's the initial stair step to show that traditional thinking doesn't always, um, uh, isn't always realistic. Now, do I think lithium ion is a long-term solution? A lot of car companies are going to um, lithium ion batteries and electric cars. I think electric cars themselves are fantastic. I think the storage median has a long ways to go and can be approved. And there's a lot of opportunity out there for that. So realistically, a, a Green New Deal, I think, is the wrong term. I think it's something that more along the lines of a, uh, a new, uh, more efficient, cost-effective energy solution for something like the U.S. And the neat part about the U.S. is we're already actually extremely clean compared to the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. And we innovate and we adapt and we keep moving forward very quickly, making it much easier for uh, other nations that don't have the resources to do it to then adopt it as the price goes down. Yeah. So long term, yeah, absolutely. I think it's fantastic. Are we going to get rid of air travel? Absolutely not. Are we, there's a greener way to do air travel? Absolutely. Um, and there's a lot of uh, technology that's amazing once you actually make it cost effective, how quickly you can adapt it to all these different applications. Um, and we always have to be very conscious of carbon footprint. Quote, unquote, rebuilding stuff is a carbon footprint. You can't go out and rebuild every single building and make it more efficient and not have a negative impact for the next 25 years. You are going to have an impact. And that's where consulting with experts that actually unbiasedly look at all the data and pull apart the realistic application and then reapply that to a, um, a program, I think is, would be very successful. Excellent. Um, just, just off the top of my head, I seem to remember that your technology has an application in aerospace as well. Uh, obviously, we've been working on the current system to help clean up uh, jet fuel, uh, some turbine uh, work that we're doing. It's not something we're focusing on until we finalize the diesel uh, applications. And the reason for that is the diesel one is the low-hanging fruit. It's the one that allows us to make a big impact very quickly and then be able to do more R&D uh, in the less 
low-hanging fruit. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, th I think the news that came out about diesel technology over the past couple of years has shown us that they're, they're, you know, we're not going to get rid of diesel engines anytime soon, even even as dirty as we know they, they, they can be. So getting those cleaned up is probably the right thing to do. Yeah, and we're and a lot of the clients we work with, um, it's proving out the systems here in the U.S. and then implementing them in countries where a lot of the old diesel engines go to die, but they're durable, so they keep running and running and running. And our our concept is be able to make it cost effective to go into those uh, third world countries, especially, mm -hmm. and clean up the existing diesel engines by actually reducing the cost of their fuel. Um, it's an easy retrofit. Uh, a lot of things that we can do to just get a massive reduction of our emissions worldwide versus just picking on the U.S. or the Europe. The, the, uh, the footprint that those two countries make versus several other countries that I'm not going to pick on today. But definitely, I, I see this great opportunity to... Um, help clean up those applications, which would make a bigger impact than us just cleaning up the U.S. And I know that's a controversial statement, but it's I, I really, truly believe that. Okay. Uh, we have come to the end of our time. Uh, Evan, I'd like to be able to check in with you in a few weeks to see how you're doing. Uh, let me know if, uh, if things are, are moving along as, as you expect them to be or if they're faster or slower, and uh, we'll we'll check in with you then. Oh, I appreciate it, Lou. Thank you so much for your time. Okay, that was Evan Johnson from High Tech Power. Uh, that interview was actually done several weeks ago uh, before the Green New Deal uh, went before the House. And Evan was operating solely on the news stories that have come out and not necessarily the substance of what the issue was. But then again, at that time, nobody had any substance. Uh, since then, I called back uh, to Evan and he made the statement that there are some new things about the, the uh, legislation that he actually likes. Uh, one in particular would be money for job training because his new technology is going to require uh, a lot of new jobs to uh, make the conversions of diesel engines to their new technology. Uh, and I think he said some something very important that I want to highlight. Just saying we're going to clean up the environment doesn't necessarily mean we're going to do it. It just means we're saying we're going to do it. And any kind of legislation that involves technology this omnipresent in the world requires having some basic understanding of how this stuff works and not just relying on the marketing programs that Elon Musk puts out. This, it is possible that we could have a Green New Deal that would clean up the environment, that would boost the economy, that would provide jobs, that would do all the things that our legislators say they want to do, but we need to start working with the people who develop this stuff. That's the most important thing. So that's the point I wanted to make with this, uh, plus to give you some hope that there's stuff out there that can actually do what we want it to do. Uh, this has been Lou Covey with Crucial Tech. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Footwasher Media.